Yo, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for listening to the 74th episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. The NBA season, oh, I can't wait. I can almost taste it. It's right around the corner. So, of course, we're going to be celebrating with a special guest this week. Wizards insider for NBC Sports Washington, Chase Hughes, will stop by to break down all of the storylines, all of the topics surrounding the Washington Wizards. Yes, there's so much going on with this ball club. I can't wait to have this interview and can't wait to hear what you guys think of the interview. Plus, this past weekend, it was another huge fight. Anthony Joshua with another victory, continuing his undefeated streak. But there's only one question when it comes to AJ. Will he or won't he fight Deontay Wilder? And what have you seen from AJ recently that gives you any indication that he is now better served to beat Deontay Wilder or is more likely to fall victim of the Bronze Bomber? All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. Yep, y'all hear Nelly in the background and the fire burning. That means this take is coming fresh out of the oven. And as usual, when I have the hot take of the week segments, I, I promise you, this is not me trying. This is not shtick, right? This is not me doing my best to get Bayless and running at the mouth on something far-fetched that I don't believe that I think people will just hear and just react to, right? I'm not, I'm not clout chasing when I say this. I honestly feel... Each and every one of these topics that I have in the hot take of the week, I actually believe. And this one may feel, or at least when you hear it, may seem the most far-fetched. And again, the NBA season is around the corner, and I can't wait. I'm super excited. The first day of the NBA season is a holiday in the Lee household, keeping my daughter from school. We're doing the whole thing, even though my Knicks are going to be trashed again for like the 10th straight year. But whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm not bitter. But this topic comes down to the finals of the NBA. And maybe not even the finals. So you know what? Without further ado, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop playing around, stop tiptoeing, we just gonna get at it. My hot take this week is that I don't think the Golden State Warriors win a championship this year. There I said it. You know? And I know everybody hears that. Oh, Armand's wildin'. You tripping, Joe. Why are you always doing this crazy stuff? Bye, bye, bye. I know. I hear it. Boom, boom, boom. You want to let me know your thoughts on this initially, right? Because I'm going to convince you because, again, as usual, I am right. But if you want to let me know why I'm crazy for thinking this way, remember, you can always email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Or tweet at the show. We're at Quarterly Show. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show on Twitter. And I will respond or maybe even have your email or tweets on the show. But back to the point. I don't think the Golden State Warriors want to win the NBA championship this year. And there's several reasons why I feel this way. And again, more times than not, I am right. <laughs> right? And I'm going to convince you, hopefully, the open-minded listeners out there. And I like to think that we have some of the best, the smartest, the sharpest listeners when it comes to podcasts and sports. But we're going to see. We're going to see how you guys react to this. Number one, 
it is incredibly difficult to three-peat in the NBA. I want to say in the modern era, right? And I'm not going to count Bill Russell Celtics. You know what I'm saying? So in the modern NBA, there have only been, what, two teams to three-peat? The Bulls did it twice. And the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. So we're talking about the greatest basketball player of all time. And then two of the best players of their generation playing on the same team. With Shaq being arguably the most dominant player ever in the league. That's it. No other team has 3 P. I'm fairly certain on this, right? Though the Warriors have won three out of four. And they have been incredibly lucky during those stretch runs. And that leads me to my second point. Golden State Warriors, I feel fairly confident in saying that had Kyrie Irving not gotten injured in the NBA Finals and had Kevin Love played as second in the NBA Finals, I feel confident in saying that the Golden State Warriors would have lost that first Finals trip, that first Finals meeting versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't even think that's really that, you know, controversial of a take. We saw what happened the second year, and, and they did have a bit of bad luck but I don't even really consider what happened with Draymond Green bad luck he he got lucky that he didn't get ejected or suspended in the Oklahoma City series right had he got suspended which would have been the right call in the Western Conference Championship the Warriors don't beat the Thunder and Kevin Durant probably doesn't go to Golden State so the entire history of the NBA or the immediate history right of the NBA has been would have been rewritten had the correct call the correct suspension happened a playoff series earlier okay so in in reality they kind of got lucky that Draymond got suspended when he did you know that's not bad luck that one of your most important players kicks guys in the nuts that's not bad luck that's just your player not being able to control himself so no I'm not going to give anybody the oh well the Warriors got bad luck when they lost to Cleveland no they didn't maybe you could say that they got bad luck because Andrew Bogut was hurt but again if Draymond Green doesn't kick LeBron James in the groin or punch him or whatever the hell it happened that following game would have been an elimination game at home with the, your entire roster and if Bogut gets hurt that game it wouldn't have mattered because there wouldn't have been another game afterwards right you see what I'm saying so that's not bad luck that's just Draymond not being able to control himself. And if anything, it's good luck because had Draymond been suspended when he should have been suspended, the Warriors lose to the Thunder and Kevin Durant probably doesn't go to Golden State the year after. You know what I mean? So the entire history of the NBA recently would have been changed. And then you look at last season. And yes, I understand that Andre Iguodala was hurt. But if you mean to tell me that I can substitute, if I could trade off, right? I'll sacrifice Andre Iguodala. You sacrifice Chris Paul. I take that every single day of the week. And we are one hamstring injury away from Golden State not even going to the finals last year, let alone winning it. All of these things have happened. I told you, three-peating is hard. It's difficult. In the modern-day NBA, this only happened three times. Twice, it happened with Michael Jordan. And the other time is with Shaq and Kobe. Winning three championships in a row is incredibly difficult. Tim Duncan never did it. LeBron James hasn't done it. Larry Bird never did it. Magic never did it. 
you know, Akeem Olajuwon didn't do it. It's 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 incredibly tough. Then you look at the luck Golden State has had during this run. The basketball gods have shined down on Golden State, but man, karma has a silly way of evening itself out, doesn't it? You know, you you had the tables in Vegas, right? You're shooting craps and you hot. And maybe in one night you just dominating. Maybe on a whole trip, you just are just so hot, you haven't been able to lose anything significant on your entire trip to Vegas or maybe down in the islands or whatever. But then that next time you go, you can't you can't save yourself. You can't win a single hand. Cause things always have a way of balancing themselves out. And then let's look at the competition. Media Day was this past Monday, and I'm looking at Boston. Forget about Boston in the East. Look at what Boston can do versus the Warriors. We're going to have a Celtics insider coming up in a few weeks to discuss Boston more specifically. But th just think about it. You have Kyrie. You've got Tatum, who was a dog. You've got Jalen, who was a dog. You've got Goran Hayward with something to prove. And then you got Al, Her Al Horford at the five. So they can go small with long athletes on the perimeter. Everyone on the, every name that I just said, with the exception of Kyrie, are at least decent to above average to spectacular defenders on the wing. They're young. They're athletic. They can run. They all can shoot. They all can dribble. They all can pass. Oh, and by the way, I didn't even mention Terry Rozier off the bench. I didn't mention Marcus Smart off the bench. I didn't mention Marcus Morris off the bench. Aaron Baines off the bench. You talk about deep. Sure, there's no Steph Curry. There's no Kevin Durant on that team. But you know what? There also isn't, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But look at the benches on Golden State and then look at the bench in Boston. There's one bench that's significantly better, okay? Let's be honest. And that's just Boston. Look at Toronto. Toronto won 59 games last year. And then they got significantly better adding, in my opinion, the fifth best player in the league in Kawhi Leonard, adding Danny Green. I've never been a huge fan of DeMar DeRozan. And I think we're going to see this year that he's been vastly overrated. You got so much better without really giving up much. Your defense gets better. You, the, the Raptors are as young as Boston. They're more athletic, in my opinion, and they're better defensively. <laughs> you know, and that's just in the top east. We know Houston, Houston probably takes a step back, but they still have got, I mean, the only backcourt that can really mirror Golden State, James Harden and Chris Paul, another year together, hopefully, for Houston's sake, Chris Paul can be healthy. You have Utah, a team that, you know, basketball nerds like myself drool over, but I don't know if the, the mainstream NBA fan really pays much attention to the Jazz. You look at Utah's winning percentage once Rudy Gobert was healthy, it was amazing. And here's another thing that is lost when it comes to Golden State. Usually a team like Utah with a dominant big man wouldn't present much of a problem for Golden State. 
because they go small you put kevin durant or draymond green at the five you basically render rudy gobert useless but now they've got demarcus cousins and he is the wild card full disclosure i am not the biggest demarcus cousins fan i recognize that before the injury he was extremely talented but i didn't know because he hasn't shown his talent to translate into productivity, right? There's a difference between having just a really good basketball player and a really good NBA player. Jamal Crawford is an amazing basketball player. You put Jamal Crawford, you take him to the court, you know what I'm saying? And you just go at it. Jamal Crawford would be the most valuable street ball basketball player ever. But there's a reason when Jamal Crawford was a starter, when Jamal Crawford was a, a player who you needed to score, who you leaned upon as a number one option or a number two option, his teams couldn't win. Jamal Crawford is much more valuable as a guy off the bench who if he's hot, you ride him. If he's cold, you sit him down. Nick Young, you play ball with Nick Young at the Y or on the court on the weekend, He'd be cooking Bama's. But there's a reason that Nick Young, when he was on a great team last year, only got spot minutes. You cannot rely on guys who are good. You need smart, effective, productive NBA players. And thus far, DeMarcus Cousins hasn't shown himself to be that. He's an amazing basketball player, but he's inefficient as a center. I believe DeMarcus Cousins shoots around, has a career 44% shooting percentage as a center or power forward. He turns the ball over close to four times a game as a center and power forward. He's an awful defender, and all of these numbers come before an Achilles tear. And I've heard people say over and over again, well, you know, they won with JaVale McGee. Of course they can win with DeMarcus Cousins, but that's not that's being a bit disingenuous. Jamel, JaVale McGee is not playing well. You just sit him. If JaVale McGee doesn't get back on defense or he makes a defensive lapse, you sit him and you don't play him. I don't think it's going to be that easy with DeMarcus Cousins. Not to mention, DeMarcus Cousins is playing on a short deal. On a deal that's worth like $5 million. DeMarcus Cousins wants a max contract or something close to it. So DeMarcus Cousins is definitely going to be auditioning himself to the rest of the league, showing, him, showing the world, showing the rest of the teams, that I'm back. This Achilles injury isn't going to knock me off. I'm going to be okay. So how does that affect what Golden State has already have cooking in the oven, right? We have seen Golden State already dominate the league playing a certain style of basketball that does not fit with what DeMarcus Cousins is or was. And I can't imagine DeMarcus Cousins being comfortable playing spot minutes you know, 10 to 15 minutes nursing this Achilles to showcase himself for a max contract next season. An Achilles injury is literally the kiss of death in the NBA. So he's going to have to show the entire league, the 29 other teams, that he's all the way back. Not back for 10 minutes spurts or 15 minutes or in, you know, in garbage time. No, they he's got to show the league that he's all the way back. And does that... Does that conflict with what Golden State, their formula for winning? And I think it kind of does. I'm not certain. I'm not certain at all. 
But that's what the Marcus Cousins, at least for me, is for the 2018-2019 season. He is a large variable. We have no idea what he will or what he won't bring to the table. He could absolutely be the quintessential team player and rest half the season and once the playoff comes, just utilize as a secret weapon. He could and that not cause us commotion and be fine if he doesn't get a max contract playing 16 minutes a game on average. He could. Then again, he could demand that he gets touches, demand that he shoots threes and gets post looks and all these other things hurt the Warriors defensively, right? Because if you got the Marcus Cousins closing games, that means you can't have Iguodala closing games. Iguodala obviously is the better defender, the better ball handler, ball handler and the better passer. How does that the lack of the Hampton, Hampton, Hampton's five lineup, easy for me to say. How does that change the dynamic for the Golden State? By implementing DeMarcus Cousins. Because, again, DeMarcus Cousins is not JaVale McGee. You can sit down JaVale McGee easy. I don't know if it's going to be easy to sit down DeMarcus Cousins come crunch time, especially in a contract year for him. All of these things are, it's just like huge question mark when it comes to Golden State. Mind you, Golden State was one hamstring away from losing in the Western Conference Finals. So it's not like they just ran away with the NBA last season. They were lucky. Maybe those lucky bounces don't go their way this season. Maybe Boston is a hell of a lot better than we think they are, and we already know they're going to be really good. And maybe Toronto finally, now that LeBron James is out of their way, makes a run all the way to the NBA Finals. A Raptors team now that's significantly better than the Cavaliers team was who went to the Finals last year. Who knows what happens? But for everyone, you know how PTI used to do take your pick, and it was back when Tiger Woods was like Tiger Woods, and it was a golf tournament. A major, and they would say, who are you taking, Tiger Woods or the field? Well, that's what I'm doing this year in the NBA playoffs. I hear everybody saying it's a foregone conclusion that going to State's going to win. Ah, pump your brakes, because if you were doing take your pick, PTI style, you give me Golden State or you give me the field, I know it may be a little bit hot takey, but I'm taking the field. All right, guys, once again, let me know if you agree with me or let me know if I'm tripping. In reality, I'm right. And please believe me, when the NBA Finals come around next year, I will be gloating. Understand you, this is not a visual podcast, but you will be able to hear me doing backflips and cartwheels and waving as if I would just want a beauty pageant as I gloat on this microphone. All right, y'all, that was first the first quarter, but we're going to keep the show moving with our second topic this week. Second. Quarter. In August, I told you all that. For boxing lovers like myself, 2018 had been extremely disappointing. But there was still time to save the sport, save the year for the sport. Because September was going to be the start of a furious close to the year. And so far, so good. We had a really fun, really entertaining fight between Danny Garcia and Sean Porter. Close fight that Sean got the victory. The following week, we had the huge Highly anticipated Gennady Golovkin-Canelo Alvarez fight. 
another entertaining, amazing fight, which Canelo won, I feel, correctly. And then last weekend, we had Anthony Joshua. Maybe the biggest reason why 2018 has disappointed. But you know what? Say what you want. After a little bit of a rough, rough and rocky start to begin, he closed the show knocking out Alexander Povetkin in a very entertaining, very interesting fight. And as always is the case when it comes to any AJ fight, the next question is, okay, well, when are you finally going to fight Deontay Wilder? You know, I feel fairly confident that this fight happens in 2019 for several reasons. Well, that is if Deontay can beat Tyson Fury in December. But I feel like because Deontay and Fury are fighting in December, if Wilder does beat Fury, AJ is not going to be able to fight Fury afterwards. I think those two guys, those two heavyweights, Fury and Wilder, getting in the ring and drawing the attention that it will. I don't know if it'll be a sellout. I doubt that the numbers will be huge. But it puts the pressure on AJ to be like, you know what? Let's just get it going. But not only that, if you look at the last few fights from AJ, you can tell his corner, his trainers, they have been planning. They have been effectively using these championship bouts with respected, very talented fighters as a training ground. Anthony Joshua was extremely raw and young. You know, he started boxing later than most. He's only fought, what, 20-some-odd fights. The majority of them, the vast majority of them have ended in knockout. So, you know, when dealing with someone like Deontay Wilder, you have to be careful because Wilder, while has while he has been a fighter far longer than, than Joshua, Wilder is the type of fighter who, and this is one of, I guess, my critiques of Deontay, is that, he has been the same fighter for so long. You know what to expect. He's not, he's an unorthodox fighter. And I don't mean that literally. He's a right-handed fighter. He's not a southpaw. He is a right hand. He's got the best punch in all of the sport. That right hand is the best punch in the entire sport. And he knows it. But he doesn't set it up. He doesn't jab nearly the way he should. He doesn't go to the body near. He's just not a great boxer. And this raw talent that Deontay Wilder was 10 years ago, while he's still talented, do not misconstrue what I'm saying. Deontay Wilder is an amazing fighter because of that knockout power and because of his athleticism. But this is what happens far too often. Guys who do not develop, guys who do not think the game of boxing, guys who only rely on their athleticism, at some point it catches up to them. Deontay Wilder, let's face it, he's really only had one legit fight, and that was Luis Ortiz. And yes, he put Ortiz down and he closed the show. But Ortiz, while Ortiz is a very good boxer, Ortiz is flawed. Ortiz is a short man without a reach. Ortiz is not a big man. Ortiz, how, do, how can I put it kindly, he's not the most physically fit individual as well. So in the beginning of that fight, you saw Ortiz boxing on his toes, doing a lot of movement, working the jab, 
going upstairs, going downstairs, stringing together very, very strong and smart combinations. He got clocked and he got sat down early in the fight, but he got up and he hurt Deontay. He hurt him. But then he gassed. He stopped moving. He got lazy. And it only takes one punch from Deontay Wilder. When you are talking about the best punch in the sport, he doesn't have to hit you a whole bunch for him to put you down. And that's how the fight ended. Ortiz gassed. Ortiz got sloppy. Or Ortiz hit the canvas. It's important to look at Anthony Joshua through that lens. Because when you watch him versus Parker, when you watch him versus Povetkin, a lot of people have been like, oh, man, well, you know, Anthony, he's not active. Anthony, he's he's not letting his hands go. I truly feel that Anthony Joshua's corner, Anthony Joshua's trainers have used these last two, maybe three fights with Takam to get him ready for Deontay. Maybe that explains why he wasn't as urgent as he seems to be now to get this fight done. There could be a lot of different reasons why both sides, you know, because I'm not going to take any side in why it didn't happen. Unfortunately, it didn't happen this year. We can only hope that in 2019 it does. But when you watch him versus Parker, when you watched him last Saturday versus Povetkin, you see someone who's far less eager to throw, who's far more cautious, who's far more... I don't know, comfortable using his long arms, using the reach, working the jab, trying to string together punches, not always headhunting and looking for the knockout shot. These are important things to consider when you think about a potential Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder fight because Deontay Wilder wants, Deontay Wilder knows the only way Deontay Wilder beats Anthony Joshua is to knock him out. That's it. Anthony Joshua, over the last year, is trying to add to the arsenal, trying to add to the toolbox so that he can beat Deontay with a knockout, but far more likely is that Anthony Joshua beats Deontay Wilder via decision. Anthony Joshua is learning how to box on the fly. Nate Parker was an amazing fight for Anthony Joshua because Parker scouted Anthony Joshua out perfectly. There were so many times AJ threw the uppercut, but Parker had it scouted. Number one, I told you guys earlier this year, whenever Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder fight, I think Anthony Joshua knocks him out with an uppercut. Deontay Wilder is, in my opinion, far too reckless and won't do what Parker did. When you get close to huddle up, tilt your chin down to your chest and prevent a huge knockout blow. I think Deontay Wilder is going to be throwing the haymakers, the overhands, the wild crosses and hooks, because that's what he always does. And he is going to be open for huge shots. We've seen Deontay hurt before. We've seen it. But we haven't seen someone with the condition, with the stamina, with the power, and the size that Anthony Joshua has And now that Anthony Joshua is trying to learn how to box, again, we don't know how it it holds when these guys face off in the ring, right? You can throw all the strategy out the books when you get punched hard in the face. Who knows how Anthony Joshua responds? 
but he is game planning. I think this is a long con, if you will, what Team Joshua has done over the last year, the last two, possibly three fights. Anthony Joshua is not letting his hands go the way he once did. Once he hurt Povetkin, he did. And this is what people need to understand. Anthony Joshua does not have knockout power the way Deontay Wilder does. But don't sleep on a 6'8 guy with that build and his power. Anthony Joshua will hurt you if, if the punch is there. Do not, do not get that twisted. Ask, ask Klitschko, okay? Ask Klitschko how hard Anthony Joshua punches. So let's not sleep on Anthony Joshua's lack of of punching power because it exists and we saw it Saturday but what he's doing is being smart what he's doing is not using his power as a crutch he understands that boxing yes boxing the sport that I love the sport that sometimes makes it extremely hard to still love boxing at its best it's still the sweet science Give me the boxing puncher over the puncher every single day of the week, twice on Sundays. We'll see. It's going to be interesting because, number one, I don't know if Deontay beats Tyson Fury. He should. He absolutely should. But Fury is another guy who can box his ass off. He doesn't have the power that AJ has. He doesn't have the speed or the athleticism that AJ has, but... He's got the experience. He's got the chin. We'll see if Deontay Wilder, I hope he does, because there's one fight that I want to see. More than the Anthony Joshua Fury fight. I want to see AJ versus Wilder. Because we've all have gone back and forth with the homeboys at the corner, at the barbershop, at the pool hall, wherever the case may be. We all want to see who's the best heavyweight in the world and Tyson Fury seems like the kind of asshole to mess that all up. So I hope Deontay Wilder, December 1st, handles business versus Tyson Fury. Because I need to know. I need to see it with my own two eyes. Has this long con by Anthony Joshua in his corner. This kind of training ground that they've run these last year plus in the over these last two fights. Will it pay off? Will adding more tools to the toolbox of Anthony Joshua pay off in beating the man with the best punch in the entire sport? I tend to believe it will. But there's only one way to find out. All right, guys, you heard the horn. So, of course, that means we are at halftime. Before we get started at halftime, a little housekeeping. Remember, you can always email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com and tweet the show at quarterly show again on Twitter quarterly q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-e-e show we're also on instagram and guys last year during the nba season we had this really fun segment this really fun show where we did the wire comparing the nba players to characters on the wire it was really fun and we got a lot of great feedback so we're going to start that up next week just want to let you guys know we're on instagram quarterly report again it's q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-e-e report a lot of dope stuff a lot of really fun stuff on Instagram, so check us out there on Instagram, on Twitter, and of course, you can always email us. And please, if you don't mind, go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podknife, Google Play, wherever you listen to pods. 
Leave us a five-star review and let us know. Let me know. Let your friends know. Let the world know why you love the Quarterly Report Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you all listening and each and every one of you, one of you for taking some time out and doing that. So let everybody know why the Quarterly Report Podcast is the best sports podcast there is today. So for halftime this week, we are bringing back one of the more popular segments that we've done in the show's history. That's right. It's the game sweeping the nation, the game that you all can play at home, the game that is simple. One question, really. Did Ray Lewis really say this? Welcome to the game that everyone is playing. Did Ray Lewis really say that? The rules are simple. I say three quotes and you at home decide if Ray Lewis really said that Easy, right? So you ready? Here's the first quote. While talking about Jay Cutler, did Ray Lewis incoherently say he wasn't going down with the ship with Cutler, but he'd go down with the ship cheering? Of course he said that I, I, I just love to find people that a leader is born from his heart. Leaders lead from their heart. Leaders don't lead from talent. Talent, most of the time, talent had to be nurtured, nurtured a certain way. Man, when, when you watch his demeanor, there's nothing that speaks leadership. Now, I'm just speaking pure facts about what I'm saying. There's no way this is the leader of your team. If I'm going down with the ship, I'm not going down like that. I'm going down rah-rah, and I'm getting everybody to ride with me, because that's why you do it. When you step on the gridiron, you do it so that your teammates appreciate why you do it. Quote number two. Did Ray Lewis once say that he wanted Eddie George to give him an autographed copy of his torn knee ligaments for a Christmas present? Uh-uh, believe it or not, Ray is not that sadistic. Final quote. Did Ray Lewis actually say during halftime of his last Super Bowl, he heard God say, touch Jacoby Jones so that Jacoby Jones could return a kickoff for a touchdown? You guessed it, he really did say that I walked out and I was hurting so bad, I just was like, I said, Lord, I'm gonna just give my strength, whatever little bit of strength I got, I'm gonna give it to Jacoby Jones. And he said, just go touch him. He said, just go touch him, Ray. And I walked over and touched Jacoby, man. Once again, thank you all for playing the game that's sweeping the nation. Did Ray Lewis really say that shit? See you next time. Hey, uh, what's up with your man, Ray? I've been doing that segment. I don't even know. That's at least like the fourth version of the Did Ray Lewis Say That Bleep halftime segment that I've done. And at some point, I keep on figuring like I'm going to run out of material. Like there's not going to be enough crazy quotes from Ray Lewis that I can chop up three per, you know, per episode. And yet somehow maybe more impressive than his hall of fame career are the number of insane quotes this man has readily available via youtube hey you it's a rabbit hole i and just search like you have to weigh off like the best ones you know at least that's what i tried to and i found like five six other clips that would work perfectly ray lewis is the gift that keeps on giving I don't know how he continues to have a platform to speak. I really don't. But 
from ESPN to Fox, Fox Sports, it doesn't TNT, it doesn't matter. Ray Lewis in front of a mic. Ray Lewis has a TED Talk. <laughs> he has a TED Talk. Yo, God bless Ray Lewis, yo. God bless Ray Lewis for content that has significantly improved this episode of the Quarterly Report. All right, guys. So the first half is in the books. We've had our laughs with halftime. Hopefully you got your refreshments. You went to the restroom, whatever, whatever. But we got the second half still to come. We're going to end the show up strong. We've made our adjustments. And we're going to start the second half on a strong note with my guest this week making his quarterly report debut. Wizards insider for NBC Sports Washington, my guy, Chase Hughes. Third quarter. All right, guys, joining me this week is a friend of the program, someone I've known for quite a while now, and he's now doing huge things for NBC Sports Washington, the Wizards insider, Chase Hughes. Chase, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. It's funny you mentioned knowing me for a while. You, uh, I, I don't even know what I was like first time we met. I was probably uh, early 20s and basically a baby in this business. Yeah, but you're a grizzled vet now, and you still got that beautiful flowing hair of yours, you know, much more than I can say for myself. You know what I'm saying? Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Chase Hughes. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chase Hughes NBCS. He is the Wizards insider for NBC Sports Washington. And that's where we're going to focus this conversation with Chase. You know, the NBA season media day was Monday. So the season literally is just right around the quarter. I'm ecstatic about that. But I'm curious about how the vibe was for the Wizards, considering they had a, a, a rough season last year. You know, they were the eight seed. They got bumped in the first round in this past offseason. They had a complete kind of overhaul, really, with the roster. Um, how would you assess the vibe of the team and Coach Brooks heading into a season where I'm assuming there are still pretty lofty expectations? Well, you know, I think media day for every team, uh, even the Brooklyn Nets and teams that we all know aren't going to be good this year, there's a lot of optimism, of course. It's a new day, a new beginning for a, a team, and everyone's got hope that they can, you know, maybe turn things around this year. For the Wizards, I've, I've noticed a big difference between optimism between fans, the media, and the players themselves. Like, fans, I think, are very apprehensive to buy in quite yet because, they feel like Dwight Howard and some of these guys were just sort of band-aids to fix larger problems. Uh, right. I think the, the media is is probably a little bit bigger in general. I, I mean, I think that was a, a pretty good move considering the resources they had. And I think the media has got a more measured approach. The players are very optimistic. I think mm. part of it um, has to do with the fact that this is, you know, I think pretty objectively the deepest roster they've had since John Wall got drafted so there's excitement there that you know guys like Bradley Beal they look over their shoulder and they see you know more help behind them than they've had in years past and that's a good thing and I honestly think that it has a lot to do with the fact that you know these guys have known Dwight Howard to be an absolute superstar some of these guys grew up watching him you know John right. Wall has been to a lot of all-star games and, and rubbed elbows in the same locker rooms and on the same team with Dwight Howard they see him differently than – I know a lot of fans and media have gotten tired of him, but they see him as a, you know, a luminary in the, in the NBA world. So I think there's a lot of optimism around that. Now, whether it's warranted, uh, I'm not sure. We'll see. Obviously, we understand that you know, things can blow up and have blown up with him in the past, but I think for the players, there's certainly a lot more optimism 
than you're probably used to, even for a media day. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, Chase Hughes. He is the beat reporter and Wizards insider for NBC Sports Washington. You're going to want to make sure you follow him on Twitter at Chase Hughes NBCS throughout the season for all things Wizards related. And, you know, you talk about optimism regarding media day, and that's that's fair. I think you're right. Every team at this point, you know, they, they see all the positives. They haven't there aren't any negatives to to critique yet. But one thing that has kind of given me pause a bit regarding the Wizards is this idea that, you know, LeBron has left the East, right? And everyone now seemingly feels like they have an opportunity to kind of grab that proverbial brass ring. But, you know, John said it at the beginning of the offseason, talking about how, you know, Boston, Toronto, and Philadelphia shouldn't be considered at a, a higher level than Washington because, as he put it, nobody was getting past LeBron. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's basically the theme that he was saying. But to me, and I've heard whether it's fans and members of the media even, leave the team out of it because obviously they, they, they're going to think the best of themselves. But this idea that, you know, because LeBron has left the East, the Wizards have an opportunity to kind of go to the finals. The Wizards never played LeBron during his eight-year reign atop the Eastern Conference. They never were good enough to get to play him. They kept on losing to teams who then lost to LeBron. So the idea that because LeBron left the East, the Wizards fans and members of the media feel that they now have a shot I shouldn't say a shot, but they now are right there willing and ready to kind of take the conference by the horns. To me, that seems to be missing a, a, a larger point. I think so to a certain extent. Obviously, there's no direct correlation. This isn't the Toronto Raptors who kept running up against LeBron and finally he's gone. So maybe they can, you know, just by process of elimination, assume that they'll get further in the playoffs. But I think for the Wizards, they, it does allow them to dream a little bit bigger, maybe. And right. I, I think they should feel at least better. They should feel okay about their chances to compete in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they should consider themselves a favorite. I think that, you know, the, the three teams that I expect to be ahead of them in the regular season should get their, their due respect. Uh, you know, the, the Raptors last year won 59 games. And yeah. I know they, yeah. they lost to Mar DeRozan, but they got Kawhi Leonard. Like, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge mark. The Wizards won 43 games last year. That's a 16-game difference. Um, the Boston Celtics did all that they did. They were one game away from the NBA Finals, and they didn't have Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward. Um, yes. And Jason Tatum was a baby. You know, he was a rookie, and Jalen Brown was the second-year player, so they could be a lot better, even though they didn't add anything. And then you look at the Sixers, who I think overall had a, a horrible offseason, as bad as any team in the NBA because of their GM scandal and the fact they they swung and missed on every star out there. They're still a team that has a chance to be – significantly better next year just because they have so many good young players that could take a step forward and keep in mind that they were ahead of schedule last year and they won 52 games the Wizards haven't won 50 games since the 1970s so I think and in the regular season I think it's unrealistic to expect them to leapfrog all those teams you know maybe they can crack the top three but I think what will be the ultimate test is if they do get to the playoffs are are they a good matchup for any of those teams and you know two years ago the last time the team was healthy they were, you know, arguably a few shots away from going to the conference final. So they should be confident, but I, I would probably tone down that talk just because, you know, LeBron didn't – they didn't even get to LeBron. Like you said, 
There were yeah. comments about, you know, they didn't want to see us, the Cavaliers. Well, the Wizards right. actually never got there. So you got to get there first. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, Chase Hughes, friend of the program. He is the Wizards insider and beat reporter for NBC Sports Washington. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chase Hughes NBCS. And Chase, you know, back when you and I worked together, the newsroom would always get into a huge kind of debate over this player. And I feel like over the past two years since he signed his new contract, that kind of debate that we had internally in the newsroom has now grown and spread throughout this entire area of basketball fans. And obviously I'm talking about Otto Porter. I am a huge Otto Porter fan. I wish, I wish the Knicks had Otto Porter on our team. But I also understand that there are so many fans Sometimes I feel like the majority of fans in this area who are, in my opinion, unfairly critical of Otto and want so much more from him. Now, I readily admit that he's not going to wow you with, you know, his productivity in terms of like raw counting stats. But he brings so much to the table, some of which can be quantified and some of it cannot be. Um where do you stand on Otto and why do you think that he's so polarizing? Like he seemingly is the person who will get the blame if this team doesn't succeed. Why do you feel that he's the kind of the the target for so much good or bad for this Wizards team? I think uh, certainly has to do with the contract. You know, he's right. the highest paid player on the team, at least for one more year until John Wall's salary essentially doubles. And the fact that he was the third overall pick, of course, that sets a certain level of expectations, although you and I have discussed it over the years, the third overall pick in one draft is not equal to the third overall pick in another draft. Just yeah. because he was the third overall pick doesn't mean he should be a four-time All-Star by now. But yeah. I think it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic when you talk about the, the analytics, people who, who obviously love Otto Porter, and then the people who are maybe kind of old school and really don't like him as a player, they think he's, you know, whatever, soft or doesn't score enough or whatever. Right. I think it's, it's probably a little closer to the analytic side in terms of who's right, but it is some, a little bit in the middle, I would say. Because I, one thing I would say about NBA players, and I, I believe in analytics and efficiency and everything like that, but I also think that volume numbers to an extent do matter. And basically right. the, the scale that I basically say is like, Bad players in the NBA are neither efficient nor do they have the volume numbers. Good players have one or the other, and the very good or great players have some yeah. combination of both. And I think Otto Porter right now certainly has the efficiency numbers. He's arguably – he's obviously the most efficient player on the Wizards and one of the most efficient in the NBA. But I think if he could add a little bit more volume to his production, you know, maybe it, it's just shooting more because if he shoots more, he's theoretically going to score more because he shoots at such a high percentage. But I think he fans just want the fans that don't like him yeah. would like to see him just do a little bit more, score more, grab more rebounds, and and have some numbers that you know in in the casual fans' mind more match up with that contract. But it's interesting because when you talk to people who are in the front office or work for the team, there are no complaints about Otto Porter because they know all the little things that he does to help the team win, and how when he has an off night or doesn't get his shots, he's not going to be complaining or anything like that. There are a lot of little things that don't show up in the, the box score that they really like about his game. You know, Chase, you bring up an interesting point. Um, I don't know if everyone knows this, but I think it's fair to say, Chase, that your your first love 
when it comes to sports, it's not the NBA, but it's baseball. You are a lover of baseball. And as someone like myself, who is not a fan of baseball, I've been increasingly more and more intrigued about how baseball got to the point where they embrace the analytics of the game, the data of the game. And I understand this didn't happen overnight. There were a long, this has been a long waged war between baseball, the gut feeling of the baseball community and the data driven fans of baseball. But they're at a point now where they are far, they far surpassed the other major sports in terms of how, how data and analytics have ingrained themselves in the sport of baseball. And as someone who loves basketball and as someone who subscribes to analytics, it puzzles me from time to time seeing just how ferocious so many people in the basketball community fight, you know, fight data, essentially. Like they don't want to even give it the smallest bit of credence. Um, as someone who has seen it play out in baseball and now are, is watching it play out in basketball, where do you fall on the kind of eyeball test slash um, advanced statistics uh, civil war, if you will, that is playing out in the NBA? I think both sides uh, can be annoying at times. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the people who completely discredit all analytics are, are just obnoxious. It's, it's another tool. It's another resource. But if you're trying to put a stat out there as a be-all, end-all, um, really, a lot of stats is be all end all. Uh, then it's and, and and if you're you know, I guess arrogant in the way you do it, then that can also be obnoxious. You know, I think baseball lends itself to stats in some ways because it's such a geometrical game and everything is so isolated. Um, basketball is such a more fluid game. Like I feel like, you know, if a guy is dribbling left and he shoots, not every time and the defense isn't always going to be the same. The angles he has to go uh, around his defender aren't always going to be the same and you know, I, I believe in, in basketball analytics, but I think there, in a lot of times, more context has to be provided. Um, like, for instance, uh, I'm not a big fan of player efficiency rating. Oh, um, I hate John it. Holland, yeah, John Hollinger's stat. Because if you look at it, um, there are outliers that suggest to me that, like, the, that it's a flawed stat. And, like, I, I've become a, a big believer in offensive and defensive rating, but I think they're cited incorrectly a lot because right. – and uh, Kevin O'Connor, I think is the name of the ringer, um, he had a really good piece about this coming out of the Sloan Analytics um, Convention where it was yeah. conference, yeah, where it was basically like, you know, people should refer to those numbers as like this was, this was the team's offensive rating or this was the exactly. team's defensive rating when they are on the floor. Because defensive rating, if you look at the leaderboard, it does give you a pretty good indication of the best defensive players. Offensive rating, if you look at the leaderboard, it would give you no idea of who the best offensive players are in the NBA. Like, there's efficiency to it, but also, you know, it's, it's obviously a long conversation, but if you look at outliers on a specific roster, if a guy has a way better offensive rating or defensive rating than all his teammates, then you know there's something there. So yeah. um, I, I definitely fall in between, but, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of data out there that I think over time will become more accepted because, like, for instance, um, wins above replacement in baseball, I think is, is though it's not perfect, no stat is perfect, gives you a pretty good indication of the best players in baseball, while win shares I don't think is quite as sound of a stat. So I think some of these things over time, as more data is out there, will, will either be tweaked or maybe more well accepted as we see them over time. Once again, I'm joined by my guy Chase Hughes, the Wizards insider and beat reporter for NBC Sports Washington. 
And Chase, before we get out of here, I figured we'll have a little fun with this last question. Uh, maybe the biggest surprise for me, at least, this offseason wasn't LeBron going to Los Angeles. It wasn't Dwight coming to D.C. It was me finding out that you're a huge Travis Scott fan. I would have never thought that. But you're like a huge Travis Scott fan, which is dope. It's cool. I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not up on Travis Scott like everyone else is. But I do know at the end of the summer, I couldn't go anywhere without somebody playing Astro World, specifically Sicko Mode. So it got me thinking. You know, I'm a producer at heart. Like, how can we have some fun with this? So I'm going to ask you of the three new additions to the Wizards roster, Dwight Howard, Austin Rivers, and Jeff Green, which of those players are going to have a dominant strong season aka who's going to have a sicko mode type of a year okay so we're going to do this rapid fire we're going to go through each of those three players and you tell me they're going to have a sicko mode type season or not all right so we're going to start things off with obviously the big acquisition dwight howard sicko mode year or no yes i think he'll have a sicko mode year because i think him and uh, john wall are going to fit perfectly together and i think he'll buy into what they're what the wizards have because it's it's a little bit more of an established locker room than it was in Atlanta or Charlotte. All right, moving on. I got to admit, I'm not big on this move. I wasn't big on this acquisition. I probably may, I may be the president of the anti-Austin Rivers club, but I'm going to turn to you, the Wizards insider. Austin Rivers, will he have a sicko mode season or no? I'd stop short of a sicko mode type of season because I think it's going to be a difficult dynamic for him with less minutes and less shots. And he has to be more efficient in a contract year. I think that's going to be a constant struggle for him. So I'm not ready to say that he's going to have a huge year. All right. Last but not least, you know, it's funny. If you are a Wizards fan who didn't go to Georgetown for like the last 45 years, everybody had so many jokes about Jeff Green. Everybody got their Jeff Green jokes off, whether it was in person or on social media. But the moment the Wizards signed Jeff Green this offseason, Jeff Green is being billed as this integral part of the Wizards bench that's going to lead them to an Eastern Conference championship berth, okay? So, I don't know. That just kind of always, you know, that kind of tickled me a bit. So, I'm curious in regards to Jeff Green. Chase, will he have a sicko mode type of a season or no? No, because I think similar to Austin Rivers, he's going to have a reduced role this year. So, I think in the context of the numbers he's put up in recent years, he's going to get less minutes and less shots. So I think he'll be very important, but I would fall short of sicko mode. And by the way, it's funny you did this segment because when that album came out and I heard that song, I was like, oh, sicko mode, that sicko-mode, that sounds awesome. I want to, like, work that into my lexicon, you know. Hey, this guy, this guy entered, entered sicko mode or something like that. But like everything with rap music, you got to kind of look up what that actually means. And I haven't looked it up, but I, um, I hope in Urban Dictionary it doesn't mean, like, something disgusting that, like, if I said it on TV or the radio, then it would be a bad look. Right, right. <laughs> on a song or something like that because you don't want to get jammed up. There's, of course, some things in rap songs that I should never say. And maybe no one should ever say. <laughs> All right, guys. Once again, this is my guy. I've known him for for years now. Doing big things on NBC Sports Washington. Chase Hughes. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Chase Hughes NBCS. Again, he is the beat reporter and Wizards insider for NBC Sports Washington. You're going to want to make sure you follow him all year round for your best 
Wizards Insight. Chase, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Absolutely, Armand. Good catching up with you. No problem, Chase. All right, guys. We are three quarters down with one quarter left. And for our final quarter, for our final topic this week, we're going to key in on something that my guest Chase Hughes mentioned just now in the previous segment. Buckle up, Wizards fans. We are going to finish strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. One of the many definitions of the word insanity is, and I'm sure you all have heard this time and time again, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. I start the fourth quarter with this definition to kind of explain why I feel the Wizards would be foolish not to be aggressive in trying to acquire Jimmy Butler. You heard me in the previous quarter talk to my guy Chase Hughes, and he feels that Jimmy Butler should not be a, uh, a priority for the Wizards. And we can argue about why Jimmy Butler is not the right fit. And I could have spent much of that interview doing that, but you know, I wanted to spend more time and kind of dive in deeper to not just Jimmy Butler specifically, but the mindset of the Washington Wizards. Now, before I get there, I can hear some of you guys already say, man, Armand, last week you told me you didn't want your Knicks to go after Jimmy Butler. So why is it that you think the Wizards should go after Jimmy Butler? What are you doing? You ain't making sense. Boom, boom, boom. Number one, let me make this perfectly clear. I am not a Wizards hater. I am a Knicks fan through and through. You cut me, I bleed orange and blue. You understand? But my Knicks have been trashed for the majority of my adult life. Okay? The Wizards, on the other hand, while not championship contenders, they have they have an, an exciting brand of basketball. I think, depending on your age, you can take this for granted living in the D.C. area. For those of you who are not in this area, forgive me, I'll get to my larger point in a second. But the vast majority of you all listening to my voice right now are in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia kind of area. I remember the Wizards before... John Wall. I remember the Wizards before Gilbert Arenas. It wasn't a fun brand of basketball. Tuning into the Wizards each night was not something that was exciting. Going to a Wizards game was not something that for 41 nights people would get excited about. John Wall is one of the best players in the league. Whether you feel he's top 20, top 25, some major outlets feel he's top 30-ish. Whatever the case may be, of the 430 some odd players, he's easily among the top. In terms of exciting, he's even further higher on that list. There are a few players in this league who can do what John Wall does. Now, is he flawed? Yes. Are there parts of his game that he needs to reel in? Absolutely. Do I feel that his game ages well? No. And put a pin there because we'll get back to that. But I think for many of us, we take for granted how exciting the Wizards are right now, which is a, which would be foolish because you don't know how long you have it. Remember, Gilbert? For those of you who are old enough to remember, not just have childhood memories, but to be of an age that you could watch Gilbert Arenas and understand and experience all of what he was when he was on That Was Must See TV. And you could, get, you could get carried away thinking that it's going to last. Gilbert lasted for three and a half years, and it was gone. So let's not take John Wall, Bradley Bill, Otto Porter for granted. 
And that's one of the reasons why the Knicks and the Wizards are completely different. The timeline. My Knicks, like I said, we're not very good. Our best player is Kristaps, and he's coming off of a knee injury. I have no idea if he's even going to play this season. So the timeline for the Knicks does not begin now. Kristaps has a lot of promise. Kevin Knox has not played a second in the NBA yet, so he's nothing but promise. Acquiring someone like Jimmy Butler, who is in a win-now mode, 29, a grizzled vet, right, rubs young players the wrong way because he gives 110% at every moment, not just in the game, not just in the playoffs, but during practice. That rubs guys the wrong way. Acquiring Jimmy Butler for the Knicks makes no sense because the timelines don't match. Jimmy Butler is when now everybody else on the roster is still in developmental mode. Whereas in the Wizards, especially considering they went with Dwight Howard, who's also Dwight Howard probably has two to three years max at being a quality NBA player. John Wall has about three to four years max at being an elite NBA player. Understand the difference. John is still going to be a good player, hopefully. But being an elite player, I don't know. Again, I don't know how his game ages. So the Wizards timeline is right now. They need to win right now. We are about to enter year seven of the John Wall, Bradley Beal era. Year seven. Okay. We've talked about this in the past. Complacency has been the Wizards' worst enemy. It just feels like the other day that John Wall, Bradley Bill, you know, Otto Porter off the bench upset the Jimmy Butler-led Chicago Bulls in the first round. And then they played the Indiana Pacers in a competitive second-round series. And everybody thought, okay, here they come. There's this next young up-and-coming team. And then the year later, they played... Toronto Raptors, we all remember that. They swept them. And everybody was like, uh-oh. Right? House of Guards. Best backcourt in the Easter Conference. The Wizards were saying they're the best backcourt in the NBA. And then, unfortunately, an injury happened. John Wall gets hurt in Atlanta. Boom. Right? Quiet is kept. They get eliminated. If John Wall is healthy, without question, there's no doubt in my mind that they go and play Cleveland in the conference finals in the drought. But it didn't happen. Then what happened after that? People don't like talking about this, but in the Eastern Conference, the John Wall and Bradley Beal-led Wizards missed the playoffs. Completely missed the playoffs. Inexcusable. Then, two years ago, they played the Boston Celtics in the second round after defeating the Dwight Howard-led Atlanta Hawks in the first round. And although this Boston Celtic team was the number one seed in the East, Look at the core of that roster. Isaiah Thomas was traded twice, is now making a meet a league minimum in Denver. Jay Crowder traded twice. Now, I think a reserve role in Utah. Avery Bradley traded twice. Kelly Olenek playing in Miami, a reserve role. The Washington Wizards were so the, the far superior team to that Boston Celtics team, but they lost in seven games in the second round. You see, complacency, no change, no shake up, no different, you know, mindset. It's the same old thing. And, and what makes it worse, imagine being a CEO of a company 
And in your first year, you have a 25% improvement, right? Significantly better than the year prior. Not necessarily, you know, astounding, but a significant improvement. And then the second year, you have, you stay flat, right? Another 25% improvement based on two years ago, right? But the same number of productivity, essentially, for two years in a row. But there was... Uh, a certain set of circumstances that affected that that number. It would have been larger, right? But an unforeseen set of circumstances affected, impacted your uh, progress, right? So you're like, okay. But then you give, I don't know, a certain amount of number of your employees a raise. Then the third year comes back and you guys drop back, fall back 25%, right? So you have a 25% decrease. But you give some more employees a raise. Then the third year or fourth year, excuse me, you go back up 25%. So it's your, your three highest numbers are the same. You just have a drop. But then you give more people a raise. That's essentially what the Wizards have done. The second round has been their ceiling. The second round for a team coming off the Gilbert Arenas situation, the drama, right? Him being arrested, that whole fiasco. The second round of the playoffs is really, really good. But the second round of the playoffs with the fifth highest payroll in the NBA is not something to celebrate about. The second round of the playoffs for a team who missed the playoffs completely three years ago is nothing to celebrate about. The second round of the playoffs with a team who consistently says they have the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference, if not in the league, is nothing to celebrate about. And mind you, this upcoming season, Forget the 2018-2019 season. The 2019-2020 season, two years from now, the Wizards are already over the salary cap with only having five contracts on the books. I don't know how that happens. So when I say the Wizards need to trade and be aggressive when it comes to Jimmy Butler, it's not just because Jimmy Butler, it's not just specifically meaning Jimmy Butler, even though I think Jimmy Butler, like I said last week, it's one of the 15 players in the league. If you put Jimmy Butler on a team, swap him out for Bradley Bill, swap him out for Otto Porter, and I'm not saying I would trade Bradley Bill for Jimmy Butler at this point, but I'm just saying theoretically, the Wizards are better. No one is going to argue that Otto Porter or Bradley Bill are better than Jimmy Butler, especially considering the defensive impact. So you have a team of John Wall, Jimmy Butler, and Dwight Howard. Win now mode right now. Would I say that puts them over Toronto? No. Would I say that puts them over Boston? Absolutely not. But it puts them right there with Philadelphia, in my opinion. It clearly puts them ahead of Indiana and Milwaukee, teams that I'm not certain that they that are, you know, that Washington is better than as constructed currently. And back to the timeline. Jimmy Butler's in the win-now mode right now. John Wall is in the win-now mode right now. Dwight Howard only has a handful of seasons of being a productive player right now. We're seeing his back is falling apart just by flying on a plane. <laughs> a plane is hurting him. He hasn't even competed yet. He hasn't run up and down the floor yet. How many years do you think he can go? They need to be in win-now mode right now. Back to the original point about insanity, doing the same thing over and over again. Toronto realized correctly, you know what? 
DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry can only get us but so far. It's time to make a move. And what move did they make? They brought one of the five best players in the league to their team. And they've given themselves a full year to convince Kawhi Leonard why the Toronto Raptors is a place that he should consider calling home. Imagine, if you will, if the Wizards would have traded Bradley Bill, which, in my opinion, I think it's pretty clear considering, considering what San Antonio got for Kawhi. A Bradley Bill deal for Kawhi would have worked. Imagine, as we sit here, September, while you're listening to this podcast, 27th, 2018, if the Washington Wizards had John Wall, Kawhi Leonard, and Dwight Howard on their team, and then think about, okay, we can trade Otto Porter and parts for Jimmy Butler. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you have to go for it. Sometimes you've got to swing for the fences. It's always not, it's not going to always work. But imagine if the Wizards were aggressive, truly aggressive, like the Raptors have been this offseason, like the 76ers tried to be this offseason. Imagine if the Wizards, as we sit here, as you listen to my voice, Roll out opening day, a team featuring John Wall, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, and Dwight Howard. Who who cares who else is on the team at that point, right? Whether it's, you know, Troy Brown, whether he's part of a deal or Oubre is part of a deal or Sadoransky, whomever. If I roll, if I'm coming to this to the stage with John, Jimmy, and Kawhi, three of the best 30 players, two of the best 15 players, easily. Well, then the Wizards are competing with everybody. I'll repeat, they're competing with everybody. Y'all already know my hot take. That's how we started the show, remember? I don't think the Warriors are winning the championship this year. And if I've got Jimmy Butler, two-way player, Kawhi Leonard, one of the five best players in the league, two-way player, and John Wall motivated, a John Wall with the organization saying, look, Everything you wanted, we have right here. You wanted an athletic big? You got the white. You wanted a wing depth? You've got two of the best perimeter players in the league. What's happening? Imagine that. That's the complete opposite of insanity. That's not doing the same thing over and over again. That's not being the Portland Trail Blazers, running Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum again. That's being like Masai Ujiri saying, this isn't working. Blow it up. Let me get one of the five best players in the league. The Wizards are in a, in a crazy situation right now, man, because they're so talented, but the pieces just don't fit. This is year six. How long does it have to take for everyone to figure it out? I get, look, man, my cousin loves the Wizards. My cousin Sadiq's on the show every month. Loves the Wizards. One of my best friends, Ian McCoy, been on the show a few times. Loves the Wizards. But they love the Wizards the way uh, a spouse loves their, their spouse, right? Or the way a, a husband loves his wife or vice versa. Meaning that you love this person, you love this team, but you're still willing to, to see the flaws. And despite the flaws, you love them regardless. Too many people in this area love the Wizards the way a child loves his mother. You don't see the flaws. You don't think about the flaws. Your mother is perfect in most of our eyes, right? Somebody says one thing about your mom, you're ready to scrap. 
That's the way some of y'all are with the Wizards. And unfortunately, hell, that's the way a lot of Knicks fans are with the Knicks. Somebody in the national media will say one thing. It would be correct. And then we all ready to link up like Voltron. And what's the, what's the, the end game? The Knicks always are in this state of trash. The Wizards are on a trash team. They've got one of the best players in the league. But they're stuck. They're in purgatory. And they're not in purgatory, but they're stuck. They're a middling team, and they're wasting one of the true elite talents in this league. You owe it to John. Who cares if you trade for Jimmy Butler and then he opts out next year? You know what? Your cap situation. Remember we talked about it? Imagine trading Otto Porter for Jimmy Butler and then Jimmy Butler deciding, you know what, this DC's not for me. Well, guess what? You've gotten cap relief. Now your cap situation is significantly better. And it's and it's better in a year where there's a lot of free agent talent next offseason. It's time to start thinking chess and not checkers. It's time to get your head in the game. It's time to be real with your expectations of the Wizards. I hope it works out. I truly do. I love the fact that for 41 nights, I can take my daughter to an NBA game and see really top-shelf elite entertaining basketball. Because when I was young, I couldn't do it. But we got to be real, man. Because if the Wizards don't make a move this offseason, they're going to be forced to make moves next offseason. And that, making a move out of desperation, very rarely works out. Hopefully you all think this show worked out. I had a great time doing it. Once again, thanks to my guy Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington for joining me this week on the show. A few housekeeping notes, guys. Remember... Starting Monday, starting Monday, we will be premiering new episodes of the Wire NBA Mix on my Instagram page, Quarterly Report. Make sure you guys go over there, follow me, and check out all the dope stuff we have on that page. We're going to try to do it every other Monday, but it starts this Monday. New season of the Wire NBA comparisons. If you didn't check any of them out this past year, you're in for a treat, man. I really, really put a lot of effort into it. And this year, we're even kicking it up a notch. I'm, I can't wait for you guys to check it out. But for those of you who don't follow me on Instagram, make sure you do it. I'm at Quarterly Report. And of course, make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Each week, each day, man, follow me. We have a lot of fun stuff, really fun polls, top five Fridays. We list things each and every Friday, man. We're being really engaging really doing some cool new stuff in terms of content on the site so make sure you guys check me out there and make sure you email me your thoughts your opinions am i wrong about the wizards am i crazy for thinking the warriors won't win the championship do you think deontay wilder beats anthony joshua or anything else in between whatever your thoughts are on the show or anything regarding sports or entertainment hit me up via email at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, it's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, -E -E, report at gmail.com. And lastly, make sure you guys head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Give me a five-star review on the show. Let me, let your friends, and let the whole world know what do you think about the Quarterly Report. Man, the more five-star reviews we get, the higher we are on Apple's, you know, podcast radar. I really think that we've got one of the best podcasts sports related in 
the world right now going. Some of you all have hit me up via email to thank me or tweet at me, giving me your praise on the show, and I really, really appreciate it. You guys really don't know how much that means. But keep on giving me the five-star reviews and letting the world know what you think about the Quarterly Report podcast. All right, guys. Hey, the NBA season is almost here, but I'll be right back here next week, next Thursday, for another episode of the Quarterly Report.